You're listening to the ABC Music Talk podcast, a show for those interested in the music industry. This is the second episode of a three-part miniseries. So if you haven't heard the first one, please do go back and listen to that first, which was taken from an interview I did recently with my friend and colleague, Delante Murphy. The whole interview runs for nearly an hour and a half, and I wanted my listeners to have as easy access to the whole thing as they possibly could, so I broke it up into three sections. So this second episode, we pick the conversation up just after Delante has told us how he ended up at Empire. But in this episode, we really start to get into what it takes to be a great A&R manager. So enjoy this continuation of a masterclass in storytelling from Delante. And that's how I ended up at Empire, and that's how I'm here, so... That's what that's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. And you sort of almost read my mind about my next question, which because um, you know, obviously, I looked a little bit of uh, your background on a few interviews, and one of the things was that obviously you, this internship at Def Jam. But kind of what you were just saying there about you know Gazi's kind of experience and kind of the, but your experience and how the two were, were were different. You know, you had that kind of big company experience. How important is it? Do you think? I mean, would you advise somebody just starting out to? perhaps go and spend a little bit of time at a you know a large organization because obviously the world's changing a little bit right you know the sort of the indies are becoming more powerful and more influential and do, do you still think people need to go and have that corporate experience you know i believe so because being at atlantic uh as a manager inside and out working with them it's just so many layers to it's just so many things that they have figured out as far as how to develop and bring something from ground to, you know, to explosion or as far as a pop artist. I don't think I could, I don't believe at this point, the learning curve or trying to figure it out on your own outside of the major is just too much. And I think that's part of the dope growing changes that we have going on in Empire, right? Like they never, mm-hmm. they never understood that they needed a, a A&R admin person. I kept saying, you need an admin person. Your A&R cannot be sitting here worrying about, you know, all these other technical things where they need to be in the studio. And if you truly got a good A&R, I mean, a, a, old, a mix of the new and the old, I was like, it's like, how are they going to be? They have to, of course, you got to do some paperwork, but if I'm chasing down sample clearances, you know, whatever. So once it, Tina came and the company grew, they realized, he realized, I got to have A&R admin to watch my back as far as legal and um, certain things. So it's kind of cool because now I think Tina, of course, myself and maybe Morris, we're able to whisper things and say, well, this is your next growth. Right. So you get this department, you need this department, you need that. So that's my point. Go and answer your question. Yes, I do believe you should at least do an internship inside so you could kind of get a structure, a corporate model structure or familiarity in your head of these departments that they developed. And I always tell people it's not that people are smart. People are smart. They are smart and smarter people, I guess. But I always try to approach things like at some point. The mobsters in uh, Chicago who started the record industry in America didn't know what an A&R was. They didn't understand what this was. They were just taking people out of the clubs uh, during Prohibition and kind of pressing up records so that people could play them when a record player was uh, really getting hot and and vinyl. And they just wanted a way to exploit the, the artists that was working in the Prohibition clubs and as it started making money, they had to come with these departments, right? What distribution? Like, how do we get this to there? Uh, who do we get to stand next to the artist and make sure the records are right? Uh, who's the radio guy? Uh, so I always say they figured it out for us. So it doesn't mean that the model doesn't change because change is the only thing that's constant. 
it means that you should study that and understand what parts are kind of not interchangeable and say, okay, I can streamline their model. And I think that's what Empire is really good at. Let's streamline the what the bureaucracy in a major label and figure out how to make it more efficient for uh, artists directly. And that's a cool thing, right? It's, you know, I guess it's kind of similar to, I don't know about uh, you guys' leader, but like our president saying, uh, cutting all type of legal testing for coronavirus vaccine, right? Like, <laughs> just try it. Drink bleach and... Uh, some other stuff, it may work, who knows? So, you know, like, like okay, well, let's just skip past all the FDA and all the government things set to make sure we don't die, but it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's cool. Uh, but yeah, right. but th- yeah, but I do believe you should spend some time. An internship would be awesome if you got the opportunity to see, uh, to kind of get a feel of it. And then go out and be great and start your own label and change the world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, well, you know, and that, that's, that's kind of, it was interesting to hear about how when you met Ghazi and that sort of our whole scenario of realizing that he wasn't going to, you know, just go and work for somebody else. There's a, there's a quote that, that you that you wrote, which I think is sort of feeds into this a little bit, you said, where, where apparently you always try to keep the business about the music and the music alone. Is, is that, is that, you still stand by that, that quote? It was from an interview a few years ago, so I don't know if you remember it. But oh, wow, yeah, I, that, that, absolutely. Just because, Alex. yeah, just because just it kind of feels like, like a lot of people I think start off that way, like they, they want it to be about the music and then they kind of get buried into the business and then they start to get, you know, get a little lost in it. I mean, it happened to me. I, I remember distinctly, 28 years old, first vice president job, sitting there one friday creating a management report just kind of stopping and going what the hell happened like how did i end up here this was this was never what i meant to do you know i meant i'm a a, you know failed musician like most people and so that was what it was about yeah so i guess you know you've clearly managed to do it i mean you're sitting in your incredible home studio you know i know that you know from the work that i do with you you spend time in studios it is about the music for you it's about working with artists yeah, I, I believe it's about the music. That's one of the things, even at our company, that's a little bit different. I think, that, uh, as far as what I know, I think with anybody else, I think that it's cool to chase numbers, and you know, in a time that you have to kind of be seeing what's blowing up. What I've noticed is that even if you're following numbers, getting into like whatever's popping on TikTok or streams or YouTube's or whatever these these places that independents get to put up records. It's like that. Don't, that doesn't mean that everybody, including us, failed musicians, me and you, Alex. That the odds of us having one hit record probably could still be pretty cool with you know the energy we put ourselves around. The question is, are we stars, and can we do it multiple times? So when you're searching through the internet, these guys, it's like, yeah, oh, they got a hit record. They got to hit something, a momentum. But that doesn't mean that they're a star and it doesn't mean that that um, they're going to be able to do this 10 times like a Prince or a Michael Jackson or a Drake or Kanye West. Like, I just think it's a different thing. So, yes, it is about the music. So I don't numbers only show me that you got something and I got to dig deeper. But the magic happens with the development and sitting in this studio or any other studio and going back and forth and pushing that artist um, and those in that music to to the, the, the best version of itself, and so for me, it's like it's totally about the music. Sometimes myself, I get lost. Like 
dating and um, the women that I dated be like, oh, you feel so disconnected or, you know, or people be like, what's wrong with you? You're here, but you're not here. And it's like in my head, I'm literally thinking about maybe a particular artist I'm working with. I may be playing this song back over in my head 50 million times sitting there watching a the movie in a the movie theater saying that change is wrong. And I'm trying to figure out what can be fixed. And I will run up out of a movie theater and, and get on, walk out and call and say, the change is wrong. We need to go here. Da, 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 and, and, and whatever, you know, like to me, that's what I love to do. That's what I love to be a part of. It's all those little things and moments that you work and tweak on this record. This one record at a time is one child at a time to make it the best that you can make it before you're forced to have to deliver this baby, right? I want so, you... so, yeah, so this is something I wanted to say. So one of my favorite moments every week uh, or every two weeks, isn't it, these days, we have the, the creative A&R meeting, right? Right. And one of my favorite things to do is when somebody's playing a record, whether it's, you know, Dre or whoever it is, and and they sort of go, hey, so what do you guys think? And whenever you speak, you have, you do that. Exactly what you just described there. You're able to kind of almost forensically break down the record and go, hey guys, you know what you need here? You need to like change that level or bring this instrument in here or you know what you need right there. And it just, it, I, I sit there and I'm just like, this is the witchcraft bit for me. I'm just listening to you talk. And I'm just like, how have you done that? Like you've heard that record once. Like, how have you done that? It's incredible. Right. Oh, man. Thank you. I think it's just a lover of music. I think that I'm going to tell you another thing that really probably helped me in that um, outside of everything I shared. So K. Michelle, I managed. We went on a tour with J. Cole. Right. When we went on this tour, it was it was uh, I think Job Records gave us thirty thousand dollars as tour support to travel the whole country. Right, which it sounds like a decent amount of money in U.S. Really, thirty thousand, you're barely gonna make it across. I'm talking about across the U.S. All these, I don't know, like thirty dates, right? In order to make this work, which was big for her career, there were some decisions that needed to be made. One, we can't afford a bus to take us or a driver. So, me and my partner Bobby Fisher, who uh, mm-hmm. and Bobby. Uh, we co-managed K. Michelle together. Bobby used to be the road manager for Trey. That's how I met Bobby. So I met, you know, uh, I hired okay. him as road manager. So we decided to do K. Michelle together. And I was like, all right, Bobby, we got to drive. So we rent this Ford Flex vehicle and we drive around. We was going to drive around through the country. But K. Michelle was like, well, I could just go up there and they could just play the song and I'll perform. I was like, I can't do that. J. Cole was still new at the time, but I knew he was bringing it to, you know, keyboards, drums, DJ, DJ and keyboards and a whole little show set up. I said, no, you need a DJ. She was like, well, who's going to be the DJ? We can't afford to pay nobody. I said, I'll do it. Right? So I literally learned how to DJ to some extent a week before the the um, the tour. That's so, so funny. So I literally, and I think I had like a DJAY had just came out. Uh, you can see that most of the Apple stores. There was a little setup, and imagine when I show up to the first date, J. Cole DJs have these, like, you know, Serato and 12s, and I got this little, you know, little computer (laughs) mixer before, this is before they were even popular, and I'm like, yeah, this is the new wave, like, man, I'm cool, like, I just plug mine to my thing, and I just go, and they was like, ha, 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 and they saw it, and they were like, uh, wow, that actually worked, right? And I was like, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But later on, I switched to Serato for the time because it was just easier because they had their uh, J. Cole had a system set up. So I found out that it was easier for me just to plug my laptop in versus putting up my little thing. But I would practice on it, you know, 
in the hotels or whatever. So somewhere, I think we were in Colorado. Uh, we was in Boulder. So Boulder, Colorado is like Colorado State. It's like a college town, big weed smoking town or whatever. And um, I was like, I'm going for mine tonight. All right. So before KB Show come out, because I've been practicing, I'm DJing all this. He's like, are you ready for KB Show? And I'm doing all this, you know, DJ scratching and all this and all this. And Kate Michelle comes out and she goes, stop the music. And I was like, whoa, what's up? What's up, Kate? I'm like, you know, now I'm in full Alex. I'm not a DJ at this point, but I am. So I've got the towel on my head. I'm like, can I get some water? Can you give me some water to towel to the back for the DJ? I'm like, woo. Like, I'm acting like as when I was a manager yeah. for trade, I used to be like, look at that asshole DJ with the band. Like, we don't even need you here. Like, I, now I'm him. This is who I'm mimicking, right? So Bobby's laughing. And uh, he's like, oh, my God, right? So, um, so um, uh, Kevin Shell's like, you're a real DJ. Like, it's like, like, I can't believe it. It's like, and she tells the story of how I ended up doing it. So... Going back how going back to those records. So from DJing that, and then I started DJing in between K. Michelle said and J. Cole. J. Cole was like, no, DJ between every show. You know what I mean? You're great. So I started DJing between the show, which I thought his DJ was going to get jealous, but he didn't, I guess, because he I didn't get paid for it. So I guess I let him do it. So yeah, right. what happened was I came back and started DJing in Atlanta at a lounge, like on a Sunday. There was nobody in there. So I would go in and it would only be like 10 people. I'm like, man, I'll DJ for free. I just want to practice. So within three months, from four to six people being in a lounge, three o'clock, no American football on. So people, you know, whatever. One day I looked up in the in, in the fall, I think before right before football started, it was packed. And every and I look, I literally just remember looking up. And I think then I had uh, was DJing on an iPad. I didn't bring the little system. This is when DJ Wild, you could DJ from the iPad. And I would plug into the system. They couldn't tell. And I looked up and it was packed. And there was people waiting online to get in. And I was like, I was just so focused on the music. So for me, I was going through, I was just going through like a virtual vinyl collection in my mind because they had combined with, um, I think at the time I used to do playlists and then out of nowhere, it was like, now you can use this new thing called Spotify. This before it was popular and you can pull from Spotify. So now I'm literally in my mind sitting in this, this lounge and I'm literally in my mind sitting, proverbially, I'm sitting in my studio or my uh, entertainment room with a whole bunch of vinyl and a, and a, and a turntable and I'm just dropping the needle on certain records. So what makes it so significant is that so I'm playing everything from I don't know this was back 2013 let's say everything I might play I would play Frank Sinatra New York New York going in you know I would play the whole record right and then I would go in and mix it with New York New York by Jay Z and Alicia Keys and then I would go from that and play uh, Ray Charles. And set it up for you to hear Gold Digger with Kanye and Jamie Foxx. And I would play Aretha Franklin and I would play Queen. And I would, and they would just be like, what is this guy doing? But I was just literally just putting records on in my mind. Now, it all was in tempo and beat and vibe. And what I thought was something I only wanted to hear. No, there were people 21, 20 years old. Um... Uh, all the way to 60. They were all partying. And, you, and I looked up and I saw these 
60-year-old people or 50-year-old people that's there drinking, sitting there just listening to music, explaining to the 20-year-old who might have not experienced soul music. It was like, yeah, back in my... So they're literally conversating and drinking and having a good time. And it became this super popular thing. So my theory is, because of the Alchemist story, right? You're going through... You're a manager. You get to this point. This is right before I became an A&R. Imagine that in my ear, in these headphones, I was DJing with these little headphones too. I'm hearing every aspect of music through every time period to up-to-date hip-hop and pop. I'm playing all the way back to to probably... So I used to play some stuff back from the 40s and 50s and mix it in. So what happens is somehow in your brain, after a million songs, you start to understand song arrangement on another level. You start to understand, oh, there's a lot of hit records in A minor. Mm, That's pretty cool. Right? right. Why? Oh, not 80%. No, excuse me. That's too high. I don't want to say this wrong. I forgot, but it is a high percentage. On Spotify, there's one key that I noticed kept coming up. Because uh, they, they, they develop where you can see the key that your the record is in. G major is the most popular key, the most popular key on Spotify. Most of the hit records on Spotify are the key of G major. Pretty wow. interesting, right? You can That's probably really go to the run of the So when you start to kind of hear this and hear how people mix records and arrangements and why did this do that and why did they put the kick drum with the head or I would just get lost. I was somehow I was still able to DJ and have people dance and, and, and cry and get all this emotion and feel these different emotions. But at the same time, I'm sitting there and it's just like notes and arrangements floating in my head like, oh, that's why. Oh, so, oh, man, like, oh, I get why the Osley Brothers and that D7 chord and that 7th chord. Oh, it's the 7th chord. Ah, and I'm just playing, 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 playing. So now when I hear people play music, it's just, it just, it's like the Alchemist. Again, I started DJing, I've been DJing since, that was 2013. I've been DJing every Friday. At one time, I had two nights a week, Friday and Sunday. I've been DJing every week since 2013 for five hours a set. So just add up the hours of music and listening to so many genres and playing all these different styles of music. At some point, it just becomes like integrated in your in your DNA where you can pick out where records are from. Like, oh, that's that progression. Or that's that. Or that's that. Or that's that. Or you need to change that. So that's really where I think it came from. I think my ear developed by DJing and understanding. And that simultaneously, I started playing guitar. I knew how to play piano and drums and trumpet, but I started playing guitar and I just it just became such a challenge for me to play this guitar and that combined with DJing because now you can hear chords and voices a lot better in your ear now from playing guitar because of the, the, just the nature of the instrument. All of that just combined and now I could just, it's just like, okay, let's hurry up and do A, B, C, and D and I think we'll be good. So that's where it came from. So that's the Alchemist story. I never planned on being a DJ. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and hey, I get paid to do it. So and now you have a full a full time DJ set up in your in your studio as well. Yes, a whole route, whole, yeah, whole area oh, set oh. set for it. Very good. Yeah, I think I'm a DJ today. Uh, I think I'm gonna go live. I did it a couple of times. I think going live DJing is way more nerve wracking than doing it at a club. Uh, 
because in a club when I'm everybody's going online with with the virus going on and um I bet think a lot of us DJs got on there thinking oh this is easy there's no crowd I'm gonna play what I wanted to but here's the key even when I was DJing these records and playing all these different mixture of records it was kind of what I like but at the same time in some third eye and some other dimension you still have to be able to scan the room to figure out the emotions that's going on. So I could kind of, t- I could tell depending on how big the room was, not saying stadiums, like we're talking maybe two or 300 people, the first people, I could scan and see that that woman's out. This woman came out with her girlfriends because she's a little depressed or she's feeling a certain way. So I don't know what songs to play for her. I could tell the one guy who's just happy to be out the house. So that energy. So I try to almost become like an empath in those 300 rooms to figure out, okay, where's the energy and let me give everybody where their energy is versus it me making them think a little deeper about their situation or making them uh, forget about it and party. I believe that all, both emotions are important. So like like going through that, like like that, that, that was, I almost scared myself right there because I got a vision of one day making this lady cry. But uh, just from the music, it wasn't that it was sad. It was just I knew where she was. But um, not to get off track, but yeah, that's that's what kind of brings it back to those records and being able to hear and knowing what 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 to do and and what it should sound like and what they're trying to feel. If that makes sense. Yeah. If I answer the question. No, it does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and in, so in terms of sort of like how people feel do you, do you think i mean i you know when i see you with other artists i i see them warm to you immediately like there just seems to be a sort of uh, a way that you can connect with them that i that a, a typical record executive can't really do and i guess maybe it is because you're so attached to the music in the same way that they are if that you know they're a recording artist that's all being inspired from something that they're probably listening to right that's typically how it works right so yeah i mean and 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 you know how, how how much do you rely on that to do your job like how much do you are you quite conscious of that ability to do that you know what um i don't know i almost feel like i'm an asshole um a cool asshole i think that uh <laughs> i think like kanye west it's like i think of it this way Kanye West to me is a cool, likable asshole. What we do know is he's passionate about what he does and he's good at what he do versus it be fashion or or more importantly, the music that got him here. I think that one has to respect somebody's passion for something, right? Um, I think when the passions mesh and it's like, I'm just as excited to be here working with you as you working with me and I'm never trying to, I think the key is that I'm not trying to turn them. I, my, my thing is, let them talk and say who they are. And I'm basically sitting there mentally taking notes like, okay, this is who you say you are, but this is what you're showing me. So I always tell people when you're A&R and it's almost like, I just try to be passionate about the music and go hard. Um, I'm at that age where I'm going to tell you if I don't agree. And yeah, it's your career. You got the final uh, say so. But my job is to give you every other example who made this decision before you and where it ended up. Good, bad, or indifferent, right? And I've been wrong a few times. Not many, but a few. Uh, I have. But uh, most of the time, I'm pretty much 85% in the right area. I just get excited about it. I don't mind fighting the artists. As far as just having debates about why they should be doing this and doing that. And um, a lot of times, these artists, when you get to know them and they open up to you, they have an image of themselves as not even who they are. 
as a person. And and it, it's sometimes part of AR and somebody's psychology. You like well embrace who you are. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to pretend. Or if you're gonna pretend, it's fine if you want to make up a character. I know a few artists who are characters. You can't slip out of character. So once you start this character, you have to you have to live it, love it, turn into it. That's it. It's no different than Batman. Bruce Wayne walking out as Batman. He don't even talk the same when he's Batman. You have to believe it. So just making them understand all those parameters, laughing with them, being human, eating, I'll cook uh, for them, um, or we'll cook together. I invite them into my home a lot of times to, um, to just to whatever. And I think it's just so much tension built up between record label and artists. And now artists are probably like, forget the labels, I'm independent. Fuck, you can't control me. I do what I want to do. And I think that's a sad part for us right now where we are in the industry because there are really some music executives that really care about music, like yourself, and and want to be kind and want an artist to not feel like we're pushing them to do something that they're not comfortable with. It's just that now it's it's been so many bad manipulative experiences that they don't trust us and we don't trust them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. when I'm with this artist, I say, listen... The first lesson I give them when we work together is I'll get to know them, we'll vibe, as they start to ask me questions, and I'll say, if you really want to know the truth, if you're if you have if you're in a position where you accepted money from a label, then essentially you're you're not this isn't just your thing. Y'all we are partners. This is not just what you wanna do, because if you wanna do means you got you wanna do money or resources in a team. You're affecting everybody life that's departed, the people that you don't even care about. So, for instance, if Delonte, if I come here and deliver you a hit record, everybody who has to deal, everybody who eats off of these decisions, benefits that you don't see that's working on your behalf. That means that Alex over in London uh, benefits because there's more capital to influx in that department. That means that, you know, uh, the person doing accounting gets to do more. That means the person doing graphics gets to do more. That means Like, no, we are partners. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's you, the brand. It's your thing. And we signed you because you're talent. But we have to have some type of discussion and knowing that you're actively listening on what we think the best decision is. Um, and I think at Empire, I think that we're so artist leaning at times. I think there's a certain amount of things that we've done that we could have made better, but we didn't push the artists over the top to make the, you know, the best record or the best decision. And it's kind of a catch 22 for us because we're like the artist friendly label. But I think every independent label started out the artist friendly label and then it becomes mm-hmm. this dragon. So, and I think you can't help but to turn into a dragon. You know, you can be a good dragon, you can be a white dragon. Or you could be the black dragon, burn it down, whatever you want to do. But you're going to become a dragon, which means that you're going to assert certain flames out your mouth. You're going to be able to wipe your tail and knock over a village if you choose to. And, you know, just depends on how you use your powers for. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I hope you all enjoyed that second instalment of the interview. Tune in next week to hear a slightly unbelievable story about the formation of what has become one of Delante's most commercially successful records. And we also get to share our admiration of the Indonesian superstar Afghan, who we are currently both working with. So, 
Thank you for listening. As ever, I welcome all feedback, comments, and suggestions for future shows. My Twitter handle is at Alex Branson, or head to the website, which is www.abcmusic.co, and you'll find a contacts page on there with my email address on. Catch you on the next one.